Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinburn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast, where we deep dive into the passion projects of the best athletes and entrepreneurs every week. On today's show, I sit down with HBA, the founder of Fishy Fam. Welcome to the show, HBA. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you allowing me to jump in here. I'm looking forward to to uh, to hearing your story. Um, I guess if you want to start, a uh, quick introduction, any background you want to do to start, and then we'll we'll just start talking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm my name's Zach Sullivan. People call me HPA. That's what I go by in uh, Web three. I started um, NFTs back in July of 2021. Uh, basically, graduated college, just jumped right right into NFTs. Um, I saw that you know this market is going to flourish. Um, you know, I wanted to get in early. I missed crypto back in, you know, 2014, early days. So I started off, you know, working as a community manager. Um, you know, I did that for three or four months and realized, you know, I kind of wanted to guide my own community. So, you know, spent probably from November to January, just building out my Twitter, you know, grinding up to about 23,000 followers, um, and then started Fishy Fam. And then that, that craze. And that month was uh it's a lot of fun and you know we're just building out the brand right now. Nice. No, I remember definitely you you came out uh you came out on fire just like right away, just like, so much buzz and and so much excitement around Fishy Fam. Um but to pull it back a little bit, why why HBA? What does HBA stand for? So um <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people don't know what HBA is. It actually is an old clothing brand. Um, I, I like the letter formation of it. I don't use it as like that brand's name. I just like the three letters combined with each other. Um, and it was a brand I used to wear in high school. Um, and some of my favorite artists used to wear it. Nice. I wasn't expecting that answer. And then yeah. you'd seen crypto or you, I guess you missed out a little bit on crypto. So you, you wanted to make sure you you jumped on NFTs. But what was the first... What was the first thing you heard about NFTs? What was that first spark that captured your attention and, and made you think there was something worth spending time on? Um, I think it was like the culture. Um, you know, it was so early. Uh, Twitter kind of was like not as active. And then I saw this opportunity where, you know, Twitter could be utilized in a really mass audience of, you know, people. I, I saw board apes very early on. Um, I wasn't a buyer at that point. I probably started buying NFTs in like June. Um, so I missed out on board apes, but a buddy of mine, you know, he bought about like 20 of them or something. So that kind of caught my eye and I just, I've always liked art. I've always, uh, been big into that and just saw the potential that, you know, profile pictures could be, you know, worth more than, you know, just an image in a video game. Yeah. So what was your, what was your first step? So you, and I, we're probably on a similar timeline. Cause I remember seeing, Board apes on oh, Twitter. my first step. Um, I would probably say I invested in this project called Bulls on the Block. And then from there, went into another project called Ape Gang and was their community manager. And how did you become the community manager? Just, you know, you were active and they said, hey, we need someone. You were aggressive and saying, hey, I want to be the community manager. How did that, how do you get started? 
Yeah. So I started off, my first investment was in this uh, project called Bulls in the Block. Um, I started off as like a marketing advisor for the project. Um, I kind of was just like looking over what they could do better in the project. I saw that they had, you know, a lot of money to be spent and how they could utilize it. Um, you know, ultimately it didn't really fall through there. Um, a lot of ideas weren't being pushed forward. So I ended up investing in this other project, um, called Ape Gang. Um, and I kind of went in the chat and was just kind of going through the project, looking at what was great, what could be improved. Um, and we just put my ideas in the general chat and eventually, uh, a longtime friend of mine, Bobby Zhu, um, reached out to the founders and he said, you know, give this kid a chance, put him as the community manager. Um, and that's kind of how that role started for me. Um, I pretty much came into a project that was um, close to dead. It had a 0.03 floor, um, like 1K volume traded on open seas. And I worked for them for about three months and grinded their volume all the way up to 6.8K. Twitter followers, I think I gained them 30,000 and then brought their floor to like 1.1 ETH. Um, and that was kind of the start of my journey in marketing and Web3. What were the... Like, did you know, you know, going in, here's what needs to be done and I'm the man to do it? Or did you just jump in there and say, oh, here's something small I can do. Here's something small I can do. And they just kind of, you know, snowball into something bigger. Yeah, I mean, it started with a lot of little ideas. Um, During the time frame, I kind of came in as a community manager there. It was kind of the first big push for airdrops, first big push for free um, claimable assets. That was around the time that Board Ape did the Kennel Club and um, some other projects like Gutter Cats were doing some airdrops. And, you know, I was kind of looking through the project and seeing, hey, you know, we got to start uh, catching up to these these bigger projects because the farther on they push, uh, the harder it's going to be to transition into their their range. So, you know, it started off with a lot of little ideas and, you know, ultimately became kind of a position where, um, you know, I moved up and kind of took control of the majority of the stuff. And how is that, how does it compensation? Are you paid in ETH? Are you, um, you know, is it, you know, paid in dollars, promise of the future? Yeah. So the founders of that project were from France. Um, so, you know, we thought payment wise, it would make most sense to pay in Ethereum rather than doing, you know, a currency swap because they were out in France. Um, so I started off, I think it was my first week, um, I got paid in ETH. Um, and by the second week, I saw the momentum. Um, and I saw, you know, the community and culture was really being built up fast from me being the CM. Uh, so I pretty much immediately asked for royalty percentage. Um, I think I asked for about 10% of all secondary sales. Um, and that's kind of how I got paid going forward. Nice. And then how was, what was the relationship like? Because I think it's interesting. Um... You know, it's such a such a new area, and there's people. You know, there's there's so many different perspectives or perceptions of what's going on, right? Like, there's some some projects have no idea what they're doing, and they're they own that, and they're just kind of winging it. And then, but some of their holders think that they have a master plan, or or they've got a bunch of experience. Some projects, the perception is they don't know what they're doing, but they really do have a long term plan and a master plan. So I'm always fascinated by, you know, someone starting as a holder, seeing the project from the outside. And then there's got to be this moment of like, you're on the inside and you realize, what did you realize? What did you learn as far as, you know, how these projects were being put together, like the, the capabilities, the skill sets that might exist in, from your experience, you know, prior to launching your own project versus what you thought was going on from the outside? 
Yeah, it's it's a weird perspective, you know, transitioning from a holder into someone, you know, a community manager. Um, you know, my situation with that project is I wouldn't even consider myself a community manager. I, I would probably say I would be in a founder's role because I ran the whole entire project. Um, it's kind of the thing when it comes to projects and NFTs. Um, it, there's so much passion in it where founders have, you know, their goals and aspirations and they want to hit, um, what they want to do. So, you know, certain founders are very on the development side where they want to create play to earn tokens that have, you know, some sort of cool aspects. Uh, there's the artists, there's the clothing streetwear type founders. Um, you know, this specific project, the founders were really big on development and they wanted, you know, to create all these utilities, but, um, you know, I came in in that community member aspect and seeing, okay, let's see what problems we have while you build this out. Um, and fairly quickly, um, one of my biggest concerns is they didn't have a community wallet. All the secondary royalties were going all to the founders. And like, you know, this is not how a business runs. You need to have some sort of treasury. Um, you know, what happens if you need to buy um, a rental place to have an event? You have no capital to do so. So it's a lot of that stuff. You come in and, you know, you need that transparency and you need to shift that to the community so they feel comfortable holding um, these digital assets. And how are your how are your thoughts received? Right? Like like as kind of the new the new guy, the the outsider coming in. Were they happy to have someone pushing them forward or did you sense and I don't know a lot about the project, um, but or do you feel like did you sense that it was kind of like we know we need to do this, but we're pretty happy kind of doing it the way we're the way we're doing it already. Yeah, that's that's kind of the funny part. I mean, it's it's hard, right? Letting someone else in to, you know, what is kind of like their baby, right? And they they don't want to change it that way. And, you know, at first it was very okay, do whatever you want. Like, you know, we're working on this behind the scenes, we're we're creating this. Um, so you know, I was driving a lot of engagement, I was creating, you know. Um, community activations, um, collaborations, all this type of stuff. And, you know, kind of getting them and saying, Hey, you know, you got to put this, uh, development on pause and we need to start working on what people want now, which at the time was, you know, airdrops. People really wanted that V2 collection, uh, cause, you know, they're pumping pretty hard in the market the second they were dropped. Um, so, you know, in that aspect, very early on, it was, you know, I was being heard out because things were doing well. But the thing is, once one thing once things are doing well for so long, um, it kind of goes to the point where they want to pivot and say, "Hey, this is our project. You know, it's becoming too much of yours." Yeah. So ideas over time start to not be heard. What was uh, off topic? But what were you what were you planning to do before NFTs? What was the career or area you you planned to go into? Um, just marketing. I mean, pretty much any type of marketing. I wanted to use social media marketing, but I didn't really see the the long term in it. Um, also, pay wise, it's not not the greatest position. Um, and I always saw myself, you know, going into brands and uh, being able to improve, you know, culture and uh, long term vision. Yeah. So now you're now you're you're in a project. You, you've you've discovered NFTs. You've gotten excited. You've reached out. You've, you've proven to yourself that the steps you would take. Uh, to build community, to increase marketing, buzz, sales, all that stuff. You, you, you've convinced yourself this works. And so now you're looking around saying, and I'm getting, you know, X percent of the royalties, but it's not my project. Did you did you always 
from the beginning, say, I want to have my project and I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and, and work with some other projects in order to learn before and so that I can launch from the best position? Or was wanting to launch your own project something that just kind of came along based on, you know, your experience as part of another project and thinking, man, if I could just have a clean start, do it my way, I could realize a lot more value. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I came in more trying to learn, um, you know, Web3 and, and the marketing used in this is, I would say, very different from Web2. So, you know, I came in, I wanted to learn and, you know, it gets to the certain point where um, your creativity is kind of halted because you have to work with others rather than you can use your ideas and push them forward without getting approval. Um, so, you know, I, I learned a lot on it. Um, but you know, after probably a month or two, I'm like, you know, I, I definitely can do this on my own and I don't need, um, to be going through another project. Yeah. So that, so now what, what are the next steps? Now you're like, I'm going to, I want to do my own project. Did you have a passion for, for fish? Did you have an artist that you were working with? Did you just, you know, do some research and say, you know, a lot of animal traits and, and I want to attach it to, you know, something environmental and kind of end up on on fish, how did, what were the first steps, I guess, in deciding, okay, I'm doing this. Here's what I can do. Here's what I need to find help with. And two, how did you come about Fishy Fam as a brand? Yeah. So, um, kind of after I left that project, I went into a big pivot of personal growth. Um, you know, I noticed in the space that the most successful projects usually have founders that are well known. Um, so kind of my big thing was like, you know, I've met this one community, it's a certain culture, and they're into a certain, you know, type of stuff. So I'm like, you know, I got to jump into everything. So right after I left that I started using um, funds and just investing in everything I got into Maury's and I, you know, got into a different uh, variety of projects. And I just went out there to learn from other projects, see what they're doing. I wanted to meet new people. Um, I wanted to see the top to the bottom of every single project. Um, so that was kind of that transition. Um, and then for like fishy fam, I mean, I always wanted to do the project, but I never knew what I wanted to do. Um, you know, the art itself at the time when, when I was kind of building fishy fam out in December was, you know, thick line work, um, simplistic characters, large amount of traits, um, was kind of the big thing with alien friends. Um, you had little lemons, obviously Maury's where I came from. Um, but the charitable side, I mean, um, it wasn't, it's not just cause I like fish. I mean, I, I enjoy fish. I'm from new England. Um, I'm from Massachusetts. Um, boats was always a big thing when I was a kid going fishing with my dad, um, all that. But, um, the charity aspect came from my mom. She was, um, she was fighting cancer last year. She beat breast cancer. Um, so, you know, I wanted to do something, uh, to give back. I didn't specifically have a certain type of charity. Um, I just wanted to, you know, make an impact on something, um, that I could be proud of. Um, and, you know, we have targeted, you know, fish and said, Hey, we want to do ocean preservation, but, uh, that's not what the brand's about. Um, it's about charitable work. Um, we do want to filter into, you know, cancer causes where we do runs um and 5k miles stuff like that um and and going into everything i mean we can go into uh the woods and make sure um, our environment's being taken care of um so that's kind of was the starting idea is just being able to make some sort of impact but it wasn't uh i didn't choose fish for a specific reason it was just i thought they were cool 
Nice. Well, that's awesome. Uh, your mom, your mom beat that. Congrats on, congrats to her for that. And I'm sure that was, that was inspiring, inspiring for you. Um, what, what was the, so what are the, what's, you're starting a project. You've got a piece of paper in front of you, you got to write some bullet points down. What are you, um, what are you jotting down? I need art. I need a brand. I need a community. Like what are the, what are the steps? People out there who are saying, I could do this. This is easy. What do they have on that list? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing I ever did, I made a Google sheet, um, and just went through traits. Um, I, I literally just made, um, lined up columns with hat traits, skins, body traits, et cetera. And just literally went through every single project. I went from top to bottom and said, you know, these are the most popular traits in this collection. This is the most popular in this collection and started to kind of, um, analyze the market and see why certain traits are more popular. Why do certain projects use the same traits? Um, and kind of built a brand off of, you know, the start of it was, okay, these are the traits I need to have in my collection. This is what, you know, I want to introduce because it has some sort of connection to me or a member, um, of the team or the communities I've been a part of. What were those, what were those, if you can remember those, the main lessons you you saw from like, why are some traits more popular other than, is it as simple as, well, they're, they're more scarce, um, or people like to see a similar trade across projects um, because it gives them confidence that it it was valued on a previous project. So in theory, it should be more valuable on the next project. Where did you end up on that? Yeah, it just it comes down to branding. You know, I thought of myself like my OG profile picture when I kind of started NFTs and when I would buy into projects, what I was looking for. And I noticed those traits, if if they're not as accessible in collections. Uh, it can slow volume, you know, for myself for a long time, I, I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I'm not a, not a smoker, but I always liked cigarette traits. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but I mean, that's something I look for in collections. And, you know, I was thinking in the consumer's mindset, what happens if that trait's not in the collection, right? Could that hinder someone from wanting to buy in saying, Hey, you know, this collection doesn't have something I'm looking for. I don't want it. So that was kind of the big thing is, you know, making sure that what people want and, you know, big time investors making sure that those traits that they identify with were in the collection and that they could find them pretty easily. What about, you know, you referenced investors a lot. Like, like, how do you see that just getting sidetracked for a second? Like investors versus collectors? Because in my mind, it's like investors, investors and collectors are doing the same thing, right? They're spending money to buy something. But I feel like the, the, it's like that subtle difference in how they phrase it is based on, you know, an investor is expecting a financial return. A collector might just be in- expecting, you know, an asset to increase in value, but they don't have like a specific plan on when to sell it or realize that value. You seem like from the beginning you were kind of focused on on art, but then you jumped into Ape Gang and, and were paid based on on royalties and started to see the potential. Um, where do you where do you think where do you think the majority of the market sits on this? Yeah, that, that's the hard part. Um, you know, in reality, in a perfect world, yeah, we could be here and, and money wouldn't matter. But, um, you know, it is an investment. You know, everyone can say, okay, I, I got into this project because I love the art. But can they say they would have a smile on their face if the next day it was worth zero dollars? Um, you know, that's that's the reality of the market is, you know, people are here to make money. They're here to meet communities alongside it. They're here to you know, have utility attached to it, um, events attached to it, merchandise, all these great things. But 
you know, at the end of it, if you take the money aspects away from it, the audience is so much smaller. It's, it's going to be cut by a major amount. And, you know, going back to your point about like investors versus collectors, you know, is an interesting point. Um, I think kind of the difference is, you know, how long you're holding something, you know, most investors, you know, are, are in, in and out a lot of the times, you know, if they, they see a shift, um, they're not here for the long term. They know so many new projects are coming out. So they're diving into everything, selling if it's not doing well versus a lot of collectors say, you know, I'm going to grab this stuff. I'm going to put it in my, you know, ledger. I'm going to put it in my vault. I'll look back six months later and see where it's at. Cause I believe in the art. I believe in, you know, the project. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard to tell who's an investor, who's a collector, and what people's true purpose is being in Web3. And as a project, how do you balance that? Because as a project, you you want to make money. You you want your you want your NFTs to increase in value because you want to make money for your holders, but you also want uh, to make money for the project, right? But without some utility or some other purpose, it's very hard to. Um, it's very hard to keep going. It's very hard to have a plan that extends beyond, okay, we minted. Now we just need things to keep getting resold. How do you how do you balance like that in messaging? You know, like you're you you know, if you go too far one direction, that people get people get impatient. But you also know that if you if you go too far on, you know, getting excited and kind of like letting everyone know when prices are up, you you know that then you're you're gonna get that same attention when prices are down and, and and you often can't control when prices are down because you know the, there's the market as we've seen recently there's external circumstances there's you know the attention span of holders how do you balance that yeah yeah i mean it's it's interesting for i would say fishy fam um as a whole like our project because we have i would say we have three different things you know most projects are dealing with short-term investors versus long-term uh, fishy fam is a little bit different. We have short term, we have long term, and then we have people who are here for, you know, ocean preservation, right? So, you know, there's probably a bunch of holders who say, you know, ocean preservation is awesome and want to be involved and, you know, want to make an impact in that and are less here for, you know, to make any monetary gains. Um, versus the other, you know, part is the investors and collectors, right? Is if the ocean preservation isn't making that money, right? It can be frustrating. So, um, it's kind of this thing where, you know, short term, you do need to have these, I would say, small little announcements to keep them happy while you're building out for the long term. Um, you know, it, it's hard to drop something every week. Um, you don't see big projects doing that. It's because they have their investors have been there for so long. Like Board Ape, you know, Board Ape can go two, three months without saying a word and, and they're going to stabilize versus, you know, when you're a lower tier, mid tier. Um, people want to hear stuff probably bi-weekly or at least a couple of times a month um, to please them versus uh, the investor side, you know, they'll say, okay, we'll give you two or three months, you know, on that third month, if, you know, we don't see something, then we're leaving too. Yeah. So it's just this constant building and, and innovating in a smooth transition. And how do you, so at Ape Gang, you had mentioned, um, you know, the advice was a lot of it was from looking sideways, right? You see, oh, you know, the apes are dropping um, the kennel club, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and so you kind of get a roadmap from from what others are doing. And I think, you know, once you launch your own project, you, you probably realize, as do most, well, 
I can't control that. You know, like I, I need to, I need my holders now want me to lay out a, let's say 30, 60, 90, 180 day vision. And if my vision is based on what everyone around me is doing, I'm not going to be able to do that. So then you kind of have to separate, right? You have to say, okay, I'm going to, this is what we stand for. How did that, you know, how did you deal with that? As far as I'm not wanting to react to, Ooh, this, this works really well for this project. We should go that we should do that. And then, you know, spreading yourself too thin. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about like values, like, you know, what is what's the long term vision? Um, you know, I could copy many of the projects around me um, and probably get decent results. But it all comes down to who do you want holding your collection? Um, and, you know, what do you want your community to be like? Right. If, if I'm copying everyone around me, that means their community is my community. Right. Um, so kind of the big thing is, you know, making sure our community understands, you know, this is our vision, you know, it's going to take us time. Um, if you can't, you know, be here for that, or, you know, that's not for you, then, you know, maybe this isn't your community. Um, it's kind of one of those things where you can't please everyone. You never will be, but as long as you're pleasing the majority, you know, that's what it's really all about. Yeah. What do you, what do you, how do you view like your responsibility to holders? I think that's another tricky one. I, I sometimes struggle with internally of like, we're, you know, in a normal, in a traditional company, if you start a clothing brand, right, you make stuff, you, you create designs, you, you front it, however, and you, and you, and you sell it and someone buys it. And then they, they decide, right. They wear that shirt and they represent the brand and, and promote it for you, or they don't, but there's not that constant, like, um, Hey, I bought this shirt from you. So what is the brand going to do next to make me feel better about wearing my shirt? Uh, how do you, how do you see that? Within NFTs, this this like that dynamic of of what is a project's responsibility to its holders? Yeah, I think um, that that's a very interesting one. I mean, um, what I feel I'm responsible for is whatever I promise. If I tell the holders I'm going to do something, you know, I'm obligated to make sure that that happens. Um, that's that's one of those things. Why going into the announcement thing is. I don't like to announce stuff every week. You know, if I announce something this week and maybe at the end of the week on one day after my mind goes, okay, this isn't going to work. Now I'm stuck and I'm obligated to do that because I've already announced it. So, you know, in that aspect, it's hard. And I would say my other responsibility I uphold myself is not to neglect my community, um, not to use them as you know, pawns. Um, this is a community. I, I, I'm a part of it myself. Even though I'm a founder, I, I feel that, you know, I need to talk to my community. I need to help them understand the market. I need to educate them in uh, what I consider that I'm good at so that they have those resources and making sure they don't jump into projects that I wouldn't jump in myself, you know, I think is is fairly important as well. Yeah. And what changed, like, you know, we've obviously just gone through a downturn. Hopefully we're coming out of it. But what um what changed inside the project? Like what's the difference inside your project? I don't I'm not sure how many people are on your team. Um but like you know when things are when ETH's flying high, resales pumping, and then versus when there's a downturn, resales slow down. What changes in the day to day? I think, you know, what we utilized the whole entire kind of well, I would call it short term bear market and in, in NFTs um was innovation. Um, it's just a big thing. Me and my team, you know, we started expanding. We added about five more people to the team and, 
you know, just started going on more calls, just literally word dumping, idea dumping, throwing images in, um, and just really just thinking of the future. Um, you know, we've noticed a lot of projects kind of during the bear, we're getting very afraid and saying, Oh, we got to capitalize on this and get as much money into our treasury as possible. So they did their V2 mints, uh, that had, you know, barely any utility. They're just trying to, you know, build up their treasury. Um, our direction was kind of, okay, let's, let's go back to the drawing board. What in our project do we need to fix? Is our branding going to be perfect? You know, uh, how do we innovate to beat the market? How do we become a blue chip project? Um, you know, really just going from the very beginning and honestly just rebuilding the project. You know, there's when the market's doing great, you start to forget about everything. You say, Oh, you know, everything's perfect. Our floor price is going up. That means everything's good. But, uh, it's not until you start to see that bearish momentum where you're like, Okay, well, there's a few things here we can fix and we can improve upon. Yeah. And how do you, um, I guess, I mean, there's a lot, there's so many complexities that people on the outside don't understand, even like an ETH conversion strategy, right? Of like when to, when to convert the dollars, how much to convert, how much, you know, how much US dollars to have in the bank and, and how far out that should last. Um, but one issue that people I don't think understand is like, is lo- the long-term funds. Like, I think people often overestimate how much, uh, well, you guys actually, well, you guys had a, you had a, you had a great mint and I think you were at like what, 8,500? 8,500 ETH in resale or something like that? Yeah, we're, we're at 8,500, yep. Yeah. But how do you, you know, people think that that money's going to last forever, right? And they and, and that's kind of this, this promise of NFTs is like, hey, this is a long-term thing. This isn't, a, this isn't a short thing. But the reality is, you know, without steady resale or uh, new mints, most projects, you know, like any business, are going to say, hey, we've, we've, spent our, we've spent our money and, we, and we've, we've done XYZ. Now we need new... In, infusion of capital. How do you um, how do you balance the community's understanding of that? Right, asking them for more money, for, you know, versus like them expecting, hey, I bought an NFT. Shouldn't everything moving forward forever be free as a holder? Uh huh. I, I think that's that's a big problem in this space right now. Is you know, we we're I was talking to my team a lot yesterday about this concept. Is you know, why is everything free? Why do you need everything to be free? Right. If you do an airdrop to your project, that means you know, out of your treasury, you need to drop $40,000 or whatnot for gas prices to airdrop those assets, right? Versus, you know, you can create a great contract that is gas optimized and each person pays $1, right? You know, in that case, you're saving your your projects so much money in the treasury. Um, it's it's the same thing with, you know, events is why, why does all merchandise need to be free? Um, it is a question, you know, I went to NFT NYC and, you know, every blue chip project that I, I went to their events, stuff wasn't free. Um, you know, it doesn't make sense in a business model to give everyone everything for free versus, you know, I went to non blue chip projects, open bar, free food, um, you know, massive venues that weren't filled. Um, you know, and, and that kind of goes down to blue chip projects as well as web two integration, right? Most of these, um, Blue chip projects have already integrated, put business models, um, you know, are making enough off of merchandise where they can put that into the treasury, um, are creating revenue paths that don't hurt holders or investors. Um, so I, I think that's kind of uh, the thing we're working on right now is long term. You know, how much money do we need to survive till December? Right. 
how, how do we build off of that and create a treasury that's massive? Um, so that's kind of our big thing right now. How do you stop from, I mean, you're, you, you collect your, you know, curious, probably have a bunch of interests. How do you, how do you stay focused? How do you stop from, you know, when I, when I was, uh, I've always thought one of the biggest challenges and I'm surprised how many other entrepreneurs I speak to say the same thing. It's like, you're, you're optimistic by nature. You're curious by nature. So it's so hard not to start daydreaming or exploring other other things and other things and other things and still just stay focused on on that one thing and building it. How do you, uh, what do you do when you say, you know what, I got a great idea for a new project? Yeah, I think, I think the big thing is utilizing, you know, your mind is if, if you do have these ideas, you know, maybe you're grinding out something and, and it's going to take you the whole day. If you have these ideas, write them down. You don't need to get it done in that moment. You know, if I come up with an idea for a t-shirt design, I'll take a screenshot, put it in a folder, and then, you know, come back to it when I need it. Um, I think it's really about, um, you know, organization and making sure that you have short, short-term deadlines and then long-term, you know, what's due this week, what's due next week, and what's due in two months, right? So you can start filtering in a good schedule um, and making sure that, the whole entire team's getting it done and it's not just filtered all the way to the founder and, and their responsibilities are much higher than they need to be. Yeah. And when you look back, what are, what if anything would you have done differently? Like when you look back at, at Fishy Fam? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the things with, with the beginning of Fishy Fam is bringing in probably more experienced people. You know, it, it's a lot of that business stuff on Mint that you forget about auditing, making sure that everything's perfect, you know, and in my mind, you know, I've never run a business. I've never done any of that. So, you know, these, these types of things that regular business owners probably like the first thing they think of is kind of the last thing in my book. So, you know, uh, some of the stuff I wish I did is bring in, you know, more advisors, um, bringing in more web two people that, you know, are used to launching a business, um, and making sure that, you know, those little mistakes that you kind of forget about, you know, don't happen. Um, you know, for us, it was obviously our contract got exploited because of, you know, a little, little glitch in the, the code. Um, and that ultimately, you know, had, had some effects. Um, and all it had, you know, all we had to do was just audit again. You know, we did one audit and clearly they didn't pick up on it. You know, if that second audit happened, you know, there would be no problems. Um, so that was probably the big thing, you know, I wish I could go back and, you know, maybe build up the team a little bit more web two integrated. And what do you see as far as fundraising? Um, do you, is your, is your, is your plan moving forward, um, to raise funds through, you know, through, through sales or mints, or have you considered taking like, uh, venture, venture capital, angel investors kind of raising money and saying, Hey, let's separate, you know, the mints are our revenue, but that's not separate from our, from the funds we need to build what we want to build. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a, we have a lot of ideas, um, you know, coming in Q3 that, that we've been working on. Um, you know, my, my big thing that I've been talking about in Twitter spaces a lot lately and kind of trying to educate web three, um, as a whole is, you know, business and elastic effects. Um, you know, I've noticed in the last few months, NFT projects have kind of switched their mindset. You know, when I came in the space, the big thing was make holders money first and that money will come back to the project. That was always kind of the business model. And, you know, in the last few months, it's been completely different. It's, it's gone into, 
you know, make the business money first and then make the holders money out of, you know, that treasury money. Um, and, you know, we've kind of seen that, that, that model is not working. Um, it's just pulling floor prices down. It's honestly just devaluing projects. So, you know, our big thing is, you know, how do we, how do we create money, um, for our treasury and create an elastic effect that doesn't bring the project's value down, but it brings it upwards, um, from new funds coming in. Um, so, you know, I, I can't really share any of that, but we, we do have, you know, a business plan on how, um, to fill our treasury up in, in a way that we think we'll be happy with. Um, that will also, you know, ensure that we don't dilute our investors, um, you know, and hurt them. Yeah. How many people are on the, on your team now? You said you added a few during the bear. Yeah, we have, I think we have about eight right now. Uh, we've been spending a lot of the last two weeks interviewing people, you know, making sure that they're going to fit with our company culture and, you know, they have, um, ideas that, you know, could help with the project. So we're, we're definitely trying to build that team out. Um, you know, our goal is probably 15 to 20 people, um, you know, by the end of Q, Q4 is, is kind of our big goal. And then I don't, you, you can not answer, answer. How do you incentivize them? Is it a, like, you, you know, you, when you jumped into Ape Gang, it was, I was getting, you were getting paid. And then you're like, no, I want a percentage of sales. How do you, uh, you know, create a culture where, you know, you can bring the best people in and they'll have a chance to be satisfied and, and feel like they're contributing without necessarily wanting to, you know, leave and start their own project right away? Yeah, I think kind of the big thing is, you know, I go two ways, you know, I do uh, base pay, you know, base pay in Ethereum or royalties. Um, it's either you believe in the long term vision of the project, um, and you take royalties. And that means, you know, on a bad week, you know, you're not not having a great week versus a good week is, you know, an incredible week versus base pay, you know, you're just stabilized, uh, you have no opportunity to make, you know, big gains if, if our royalties are pumping. So that's kind of like the two ways I give, you know, people, people the choice because not everyone needs the money. Um, you know, they're looking for the long-term vision of the brand versus, you know, others, you know, you know, are here to work as a regular job and just want the base pay and, you know, don't care if, uh, there's a big pump. Yeah, no, I, I, I tell the story all the time, but it still, it still makes me laugh every time. The first, the first, the first two people we paid in ETH. ETH was flying high, and they were happy to get paid in ETH. And as soon as ETH dropped, they wanted to get paid uh, an adjusted level of ETH to maintain the dollar the dollar amount they were getting before. And it was like, wait, it can't be, it can't be, it can't be ETH or you know ETH times X if ETH goes down. It was a uh, there's so many uh, so many more variables than a traditional um, a traditional company. The um, okay, so so looking back, what was was there anything early on in your life? Like, what was the first moment that you can remember? Whether you knew it at the time, you look back and you go, oh, you know what? That might have been a conversation, a comment, an indication that um, at some point, I might, you know, entrepreneur is, entrepreneurship is in my future. Do you remember anything? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a comment. I think, you know, through my whole life, the big thing was any ideas, like getting it down on paper. I mean, <laughs> some some of the most random stuff, you know, if I saw something in a store that they could, you know, use that would make their business work better or, you know, a t-shirt design, whatever it was, I would just jot it down in my iPhone notes. And, you know, the big thing is the younger you are, the harder it is to pursue anything. You know, you come up with this amazing idea, but if you don't have the capital for it, if you don't have, 
you know, surrounding people who can push that product for you, it, it's kind of worthless. So, you know, I feel like for a long time, I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. I just never had the opportunity to utilize um, some of the stuff I came up with. Cool. And then, so we got, we got two questions left. Um, one, is there any, any story you haven't shared before? It could be a quick 30-second thing or any experience or event, I guess, during the Fishy Fam journey that you think the, uh, the audience would find interesting? Hmm. Trying to think. Any oh shit moments or like, you know, I don't know how we're going to pull this off, but we did. Yeah, I think I think one of the the funnier parts is probably the day before the Twitter went live. Um, you know, at the time, I was very confident. You know, I thought we were going to do really well. You know, I I had a vision of getting you know three hundred likes, and at that time, you know, a project if you got three hundred likes in your first post is pretty bare, uh, pretty bullish signal. Um, and I remember we went on a call that night before we dropped the Twitter at 9am in the morning EST. And we all just made a bet. We're like, all right, what do you think this, how many engagements do you think we're going to get? You know, it, it was me, the other founder, and then the community manager, um, me and the other founder are very different. I'm very, um, I would say optimistic versus, um, he was, he's very, you know, okay, nothing's going to go good. Everything's going to go wrong. So he was like, all right, we're going to get like 60 likes. I'm like, all right. And you know, my mind, I'm like, all right, we're going to hit 1200 community managers, like 800. Um, and it was just kind of a funny moment, uh, for me is the other founder the next day when he's looking at the Twitter, he's calling me, he's like screaming, he's like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I know this is what I was expecting. So that was kind of an interesting moment. And what final question, this is our bonus question for listeners that stuck with us through this episode. If you could spend the day with any person in web three it could be nfts web three as a whole uh who would it be and why any person in web three i would probably say gary v um i've been very intrigued by gary v i think you know connection wise and um networking wise i think he's a huge asset and you know i'd love to ask him some questions related to you know how how do you push out farther you know once you already have your audience how do you hit that next level where you start hitting up big influencers that seem unreachable at times. Um, so I think he would be a very cool person to talk to. Cool. And then what, uh, I guess that you lied. One, one last question. What piece of advice, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone out there who's considering on the verge, whatever, of starting their, uh, their, their first NFT project? I would say the, the one thing I always personally tell people is if you are creating a project to make money, you will not sell out. If your goal is to create a community, you're more likely to sell out and to make sure to build your brand first. Um, your Twitter always comes first before you create your project's Twitter. That's good advice. I think you've uh, we, we, we've spoken before. I've always appreciated, uh, you know, you're very well-spoken, very clear, um, very focused on on the points. And, and a lot of people can't answer the questions of, of, okay, you know, a lot of people say, I know how to do this or I know what I would do. But I've always... Uh, respect the fact that you can always you you have a list with 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 examples of now this is step by step what i would do so i've always appreciated those uh those conversations appreciate you coming on uh where can people find you find out more if they want to uh to uh, dive in further yeah i appreciate you thank you so much for letting me come on here coast talk um you can reach me at hba crypto on twitter um that's pretty much the only place i usually go through um i haven't created a uh, NFT 
uh, Instagram yet, but I'll probably create one of those pretty soon. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you get a chance, rate, review, subscribe, share this episode with a friend, listen to it again. Uh, we really appreciate it. And HBA, it's been great having you on and uh, can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.